Joining Brian and Brett now on Sports Time is national college football writer for CBS Sports, Memphis native and Tennessee grad, who you can find on Twitter X at David W. Cobb. It's David Cobb. David Cobb joins us now from CBS Sports, like he does every Monday, talk college football and college basketball. But David, before we do that, how'd you enjoy the Super Bowl last night? Did you have a fun night? It was. It was a great game. Nice. Well, the first half wasn't great. But uh, if you bet on punts, half. it was a great first half there. <laughs> it's great. I, I missed that opportunity, mm. yeah. I, I missed the coin flip, you know, whatever. <laughs> Uh, the length of the national anthem. I didn't have any action on any of that stuff. So to me, the the show was the game. Uh, I mean, I, I watched the halftime show, and and I uh, my wife certainly enjoyed all the the cuts to Taylor Swift. Um, but uh, yeah, and in the in the end, the game was really great too. It delivered, and uh, it was weird the fact that uh, the first ever postseason overtime game with that format was the Super Bowl because nobody knew what was going on. Nobody. Uh, hmm. uh, including uh, some of the the, the the participants in the game itself, uh, which was a weird, bizarre kind of wrinkle. And uh, anyway, I guess in the end, the lesson is, uh, if you think it's going to be a close game, which it was, don't bet against Pat Mahomes. Yeah. Which one do you prefer, the college football overtime or that yesterday or what the NFL uses in the regular season? I actually like the college overtime because both teams get a, a fair chance. Like, you can say that in college the team that gets the ball second has the advantage because they know what they need to do. But my understanding about that NFL format last night was that uh, after both teams had a possession, it was then going to revert to sudden death where the first score would have won the game, which in the end, even if both teams have had a possession, it still favors the team that got the football first. So that's why I was a little confused about why there was such controversy over who got the ball first. Because it's like uh, I don't I don't know that you necessarily uh, want it second. Because if you if you get it second and then all you do is tie the game, then the next team can win the uh, the other team can win the game. You know when they get the football back. Tennessee Vols almost had mm. the second MVP in Tennessee Volunteer mm-hmm. football history to Peyton Manning. I, Bryant said it earlier. I th- I, th- I think he's right. I, I know, I'm pretty sure he's right. Juwan Jennings would have won it. No doubt. Uh, one of the only players in Super Bowl history to throw for a touchdown and catch Crazy. one. Dude, that guy is a, is a competitor, and nobody thought he was going to stick in the NFL. I mean, Tennessee people did because they, they saw who he was uh, for so long, and they saw that will and that competitive drive. Uh, he is a guy with a lot of Memphis ties, too. He actually – Grew up uh, in the in the Memphis suburbs and yeah. like Germantown and Arlington, playing middle school and freshman ball, and then he moved to Murfreesboro and was a high school quarterback. Uh, at, I think it was Blackman in, in, in Murfreesboro and a really good one too. And then he got to Tennessee and there was a log jam because that was around the time under Butch when they had Riley Ferguson and Josh Dobbs and like those guys could hardly touch the field behind Nathan Peterman and Jeff Morley, and so they moved Jennings to receiver. And uh, that was the best thing that ever happened to him because I know the guy doesn't run a four four, but he is such a a competitor. He's so physically so tough. He blocks better than most tight ends do, and uh, it's just not surprising. Even though he didn't rate off the charts at the combine a few years ago, to see that guy ha- having a home in the NFL mm-hmm. and being an, an impact player, it's just it's just who he is, and and you know the, uh, a tremendous testament to 
that competitive drive and that willpower that Tennessee fans saw for so long. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was a lot of fun to to watch what he was doing last night. Well, David, I know we want to talk college basketball, a big weekend in college basketball, but I do, before we uh, do that, since we're talking about football, I'm curious your thoughts uh, over the weekend. Ohio State uh, hired UCLA's Chip Kelly to be their offensive coordinator after Bill O'Brien took the head coaching job at Boston College. What do you make of this move for Ohio State? I mean, everyone was really excited about Bill, Bill O'Brien, but now you get Chip Kelly just coming off uh, being the head coach of UCLA. Yeah, no doubt. It's a, a shocker <laughs> to see a now a Big Ten coach leave for a Big Ten offensive coordinator job. Yeah. Can you imagine? Wow. Let's let's put, put an SEC parallel on that. It would be the equivalent of the head coach at Arkansas leaving to be the offensive coordinator for Georgia. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. A low to mid-tier big Wait, end. that might really happen. <laughs> well, you, you never Sam know. Pittman, no, I kid. I kid. Sam Pittman, it could. He could go and be there. Heck, he might leave to be their, their O-line coach again. But still, with the, with the name of the cachet of Chip Kelly. But it makes sense because he, he was kind of, up, kind of up against the clock now mm-hmm. at UCLA. They almost fired him this past yeah, season. lucky to survive. Indeed. And now he's looking at, hey, I got to go win in the Big Ten. You don't have Dorian Thompson Robinson at quarterback anymore. The Dante Moore experiment failed. So he's looking at his roster and his schedule at UCLA. And he's looking at that Ohio State roster uh, and that Ohio State schedule and all the pieces that, that Ohio State has on defense. He's saying, eh, they're probably going to run me out of town. Uh, in late November here at UCLA, but I can go and restart the clock yep. and not have to deal with recruiting, not have to fool with NIL, uh, and, and go be the, the OC at Ohio State. So I, I get it. I mean, it's just still kind of one of those things that when it happens and you see it, it blows your mind a little bit. David, if I set the number at one and a half from now until opening game, we will have one and a half more changes in power conferences in college football. How would you go? I'll go under. I'll go under on the one and a half because I think, knock on wood, I don't know that there's many dominoes left to fall at this point. I don't know of many other head coaches that are openly shopping themselves on the NFL coordinator market like Chip Kelly was, like Jeff Halfley was. I mean, Chip Kelly would have gone, would have probably preferred to have gone to the NFL. Um, you know, now that the NFL carousel is starting to slow down a little bit, it seems unlikely to me that we're going to have a lot more movement. But, heck, I, I thought the carousel would be done by now, too. Um, and, and there's just every kind of every move that's been made has really had a lot of impacts to come with it. And, I mean, I guess, uh, I guess you know what? Uh, there could be a, a wild card here. What if, hear me out, this is probably not going to happen, but what if Kalen DeBoer decided, you know what? I need to go make a splash higher at offensive coordinator myself. Uh, you know, might he look uh, to to poach a sitting head coach from a a Big Twelve or an ACC team? What if what if uh, Dave Clawson uh, from Wake Forest got a call from Kalen DeBoer to go yeah. be the offensive coordinator? I don't think he would do it, right? But like, I mean, in this era, uh, those are moves that you you have to consider uh, as as a potential possibility. David, I think I would, it would be low stakes, but I think I would bet the over, and sadly for me to hit, it would take somebody some real 
calamity and probably summertime scandal. Uh, I, I would take one coach to get to my over one and a half that just it, maybe see something to, to, to make that move, like, 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 like we've seen with the, the Boston College coach and with, with, with the UCLA coach. I would, I would bet, I would bet on another one just I'm fried. I, I was fried at the end of the year. I was fried at the bowl game. I'm, I, I, I was fried after spring. I, when May hits, I'm not doing it. I'm out of here. Bob Stoops quit at that time. And I don't know if he was fried, but he, he was done enough to quit at that time. And then I would go one more. I don't know if I'd bet two and a half, but I sure would bet one and a half. I would go one more with just good old garden variety scandal of somebody getting on a motorcycle. Well, sure. I mean, and you, you just never know what Deion Sanders is going to do next. <laughs> uh, he had a tweet not too long after the UCLA job opened that almost suggested his interest in that job, right? So uh, you never know if maybe a media entity or uh, some sort of front office position in the NFL, or you just never know with, with, with Deion, right? Like what he's interested in or what might float his boat. So he's always going to be a wild card. You know, it could happen. There's just so many dynamics that are changing in the college football coaching realm right now. And even if this carousel ends up being a little quieter, I think in the years to come, um, you know, we're going to see just a, a fairly significant exodus from the from the profession. And, and this was a loud carousel, by the way. I mean, quieter in the sense of, like, it being done now. Uh, but, yeah, in the years to come, I, I don't think this is going to slow down really at all because mm. – College coaches, there's so much that's being asked of them, and I think the the looming employment status of the players. Once the universities are going are, are tasked with paying the players directly, that's going to cut into the salary pool that has been paying the coaches. And so the era of rising salaries, I think, is coming to an end in college football because the day is coming quite soon when uh, the the player salaries are going to come from the universities and the athletic departments. And, and that means that the, the coaching salaries are going to stop rising and, and maybe even begin to climb. Wow. Yeah. Talking to David Cobb, he joins us every single Monday from CBS Sports Talk College Football and College Basketball. Busy weekend uh, in college basketball, but I want to start off with the Tigers. They win again yesterday over Tulane, kind of a revenge game after they lost down in New Orleans a couple weeks ago. But that's three straight wins for the Tigers now. I know Jerry Palms uh, over at CBS Sports acknowledged that today in his latest Bracketology Bubble Watch. Still some work to to do I think he moved them up to uh, first four out uh, the last team in the first four out uh, what do the Tigers in your opinion have to do this week two big road games uh, at North Texas at SMU does one and one do anything do they need to go down there and sweep and go two and0 before returning to home uh, and, and playing Charlotte I think you got to go two and0 they're just they're just so firmly on the bubble yeah. that one and one even though even though north texas is on the cusp of being a quad one and i believe southern miss would be a quad one or will be a quad one based on the net ranking yeah, in north SMU texas is quad one right now at least. yeah in north texas is close but you know kind of wishy-washy there uh, mm-hmm. it's you know if, if north texas if you lose to north texas and north texas bumps jumps up in the rankings and i guess it is a quad one loss because Beating Memphis would probably help them, but you really you got to win too. I mean, if nothing else, it's it's the perception at this point that mm-hmm. Memphis is fighting against, and 
you know, if, if you continue to, to add losses, you're just, you're, you're, you're per, the perception of what you are and who you are becomes further diminished. I mean, I hear a lot of people out there arguing and making the case that in this era where teams are often not fully formed until February or March, that we should begin weighting what you, what you did in the second half of the season above what you did in the first half of the season. Hmm. And if we get to that point, it's that's a disaster yeah. for Memphis. Oh, yeah. Because the Memphis resume at this moment hinges almost entirely on what was in comp, uh, accomplished in November and December. And if the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee is weighting uh, recent results more than they are what happened in November and December, then that that's bad for, for, for Memphis. And it suggests to me that you need to win both these games this week. And, you know, let's say, let, I'll put it this way. Let's, let's, let's say North Texas SMU in two games against FAU, right? Yeah. I think you, you got to win three out of four. So, okay, sure. Maybe you go one and one this week, but then I don't think you can also go one, one and one against FAU and, right. and expect to be in. So that's probably how I would classify it. They got, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven regular season games left. I mean, five and two, maybe. Um, but I, I think six and one is what gets you into the AAC tournament feeling at least decent about your chances of an at-large. David, your colleague, Jerry Palm, will join Greg and Eli tomorrow morning, as he always does during college football and college basketball. He has two from the AAC, has FAU as a seven seed playing Northwestern. That's a really tough game. Mm-hmm. And then he has as a 13 seed South Florida playing Illinois. So two from the AAC. What's a worse look for the Tigers? If the AAC is a one-bid league and you're not it, or it's a two-bid league and you're not it? Yeah, I think if you would ask anybody before the season, uh, you know, who would be the two teams from the AAC that are going to make the NCAA tournament, everyone would have said FAU and Memphis. So if that other team ends up being a, a squad like South Florida or a squad like Charlotte or a squad like SMU, all of whom are far earlier on in the tenures of their coaches, uh, then, then it is a, a pretty rough look. Uh, think about South Florida and the depths of despair they've been in over the past several years. And uh, Charlotte as well. I mean, they just today uh, removed the interim tag from their coach yeah. um, after – their, their, their coach left to go be an assistant at Virginia in, like, June of this last year. And, and what's Charlotte's athletic director with no choice but to promote Aaron Fern to interim head coach, and he's done an incredible job. And then Rob Lanier at SMU has done great, and UAB's coming on strong. So the league has actually been better than I expected it to be. And you know, you got Memphis sitting in there kind of in the middle of the pack. And, you know, thankfully they did that work in the non-con, but as bad as it is for the Tigers that, you know, they struggled in the league, they're, they're bailed out by the fact that the conference has been stronger than, than expected. I don't know what the tally is, but they got probably five or six teams in the top 100 of the net, which I didn't necessarily expect. Uh, so it's a credit to the other teams in the conference that uh, Memphis still has a shot at this thing because you know we're talking about a scenario here where Memphis finishes with five or six conference losses. And before the season, if you told me that, that Memphis would lose five or six league games and still have a shot at an at-large bid, I would have told you you were crazy. And, and now you, here we are without being a possibility. Yeah. But do you, do you think this is a good league? Because, David, I don't. I, I think it's – 
I think it's down there around ninth or tenth. How how good do you think it is? I mean, it's better than I thought it would be. I, and I, but I didn't think it was going to be very good because of the fact you were losing Houston and Cincinnati and UCF. And you know, I, I was skeptical about FAU. They've been they've not been elite, but they've been NCAA tournament caliber. And then these other teams are just so random. Nobody had any reason to expect South Florida or or Charlotte to be any good, right? And, and North Texas, losing Grant McCaslin, you figured it would take them a minute to bounce back, but they've been pretty strong. Mm-hmm. So, no, it's not, a, it's not a good league. It's not like the Mountain West out here like a, as a non-power conference that is legitimately a, a strong league, but it's not as bad as, as I thought it was going to be. I mean, I really didn't think the, the AAC was going to be anything in, in basketball this year, and it's it's been... It's been decent. It's been competitive with the A-10 and the Missouri Valley and some of these other more proud mid-major type of conferences. Yeah. Uh, One of the big games over the weekend in college basketball, Kentucky and Gonzaga, a rare non-conference game in the middle of February at Rupp Arena. And for Gonzaga, I believe first quad one win of the season for them on the road at Rupp. They get a big win. They're still, uh, Jerry Palm has them outside looking in uh, part of the first four out. He has Kentucky on the seven line. What was your biggest takeaway from that game? And for Kentucky, lost uh, now I think three straight at home uh, young team battling with some injuries but but what do you make of these two teams right now uh, as we uh, are, are getting to about the halfway point of February yeah I think Kentucky's defense is borderline irreparable yeah. at this point <laughs> Gonzaga made four three-pointers in the entire game <laughs> including one in the second half Crazy. They, they worked the post like oh, the, yeah. like they had the the playbook Yes, in, in Kentucky at, at some point in the second half I had to acknowledge that this team was not going to make any outside shots against them and pack it in the paint. And you know, maybe they maybe they tried that, but they were still getting beat off the dribble. And, and they got kind of manhandled a little bit by, yeah, Graham E.K. and Anton Watson and some of these bigger, older dudes who were just taking Kentucky's defenders one-on-one. And that's been Kentucky's problem now for several weeks is, the one-on-one defense is just sorely lacking. And uh, when, when you're still getting beat one-on-one on a night when your opponent is making no- nothing from beyond the arc, that's really concerning. Because it just says that teams can take you down to the post or, or do whatever they want against you um, with any number of, of favorable one-on-one matchups. And, and that makes it really difficult to put in a game plan. Kentucky can score with the best of them. I mean, they, they might end up as one of the highest-scoring teams in college basketball over the last uh, five years, but it's not going to matter if they can't stop anyone. So I know Trey Mitchell was out, but I'm not buying that that excuses Kentucky's loss because no other team in the country, when when they have a starting front court player like Trey Mitchell out, has three seven-footers that they can throw out there instead. I mean, they got Aaron Bradshaw, five-star center. They got Big Z, uh, who was a revelation a couple weeks ago, right? And then yeah, – Right, and then you got Onyenso, who's one of the best shot blockers in college basketball. So Trey Mitchell being out doesn't doesn't register with me as an excuse for Kentucky to lose at home against an unranked team. And another bad look week for John Calipari. He did appear on the post game radio shows with Tom Leach after both losses, but he didn't today. He sent Orlando Antigua out there to mm-hmm. appear before the local media today. He makes way too much money during this tough 
stretch for him not to be out there and, and stand up and, and take the questions. Yeah, if I were uh, Orlando Antigua, I'd say, Cal, really? Like, you want me to go? <laughs> you want me That's to go tough. out there and answer for this? Uh, what? Uh, why? That, that, that would, I would politely decline that, that request from my boss, uh, if I were in that position. Yeah, I don't get it. I mean, uh, what's he, what's he ducking, right? I mean, I know, you know, he should know by now the, the way things are in Kentucky and the criticism that you face, and it's just part of it, and you got a job to do, and, Part of that job is talking to the media and trying to explain, you know, uh, what's going on in your program. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. I think what it comes down to is he doesn't have a lot of answers right now. And when you don't have any answers, it, it can be difficult to, uh, to face the music. And, you know, they're, they're still safely in the NCAA tournament, Kentucky is, but it's, it's not looking good. It's not looking like it was in early January when they were a projected two seed and everybody was saying that this was, this was like their, you know, their mid two thousands types of squad. The comeback but, uh, year, yeah. yeah, yeah. But you know, they're still dangerous. They can score with anybody. I don't know what it, what uh, the defensive remedy is, or if there is one. Um, but they they've got to, you know, try zone, try try some full court press, trapping, just try just something. mix it up. I mean, yeah. they've got they've got really good depth. And if you're gonna if you're gonna play eight or nine guys, maybe even ten guys, if they put Burks out there some. Then you know use that to your advantage and, and press and try and trap. Use your athleticism and uh, and the fresh legs that you can bring off the bench to to your benefit and maybe wear some teams down in the second half. They they got to get creative. They got to try something different defensively. Yeah, no, you're right about that. And Jerry Palm has Kentucky right now, first round, seeing ten seed Indiana State, who made their appearance, their first appearance in the top twenty five, and that would not be an easy cakewalk in Indianapolis. Game. In Indianapolis, that would be a that'd be a tough first game for John Calipari. It would. That'd be a lot of fun. That Indiana State team is a great story. They yeah. run some really good offense. It's probably that program's best team since uh, Larry Bird came through oh, there. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Well, David, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, we'll do it again next week. All right, fellas. I appreciate it. Thanks, David. David Cobb from CBS Sports. He joins us every single Monday to talk college football and college basketball. We need to get to a break. Uh, and when we come back, we're going to talk some more college basketball. But we're going to get to the brackets. We're talking bracketology with Shelby Mass from BracketWag.com. Broadcasting from the Family Leisure Studio, we are Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Now back to Sports Time on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Here once again are Brett Norsworthy and Bryant Dacus. Well, we're working to get Shelby Mast on to talk bracketology, where he has the Tigers, and and what his bracket is looking like over at bracketwag.com. Uh, we're trying to get him on, but it is interesting looking at some of these brackets, not only his over at bracketwag.com, but also Joe Lenardi and uh, Jerry Palm, where they have some of these teams uh, sitting and where they have the Tigers sitting. Yeah, and, and, and it, it's bracketology time. It yeah. will start to codify. We're, we're not that far out. The yeah. idea of the Memphis Tigers only having three remaining home games, it shows you Crazy. how quickly it all flies by, and it, 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 it does, and you, you, you gotta go out there and, and make your way. We were talking about fr- Friday in your absence of, you know, when do you, when do you become who you are? Mm. We're getting close to that point. Absolutely. Uh, th- this is still a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, a little bit early. 
But every day we say that, it's getting later. That's right. Uh, another day passes, and we're one day closer to, to March and March Madness. And you've, you've got to start figuring out. If you don't know what you are as a team right now, you're really trying to figure it out over these next couple of weeks because, I mean, you don't want to have these question marks. I mean, I, I mentioned it earlier with, with this Tiger team and, and yesterday, kind of seeing that rotation, you know, kind of trimmed down a little bit. You want to see that because very clearly last week, Penny Hardaway did not know what this rotation was going to be. He did not know what this team was going to be in terms of guys playing. And those are things you have got to figure out because you cannot be running out there in your conference tournament, running out there in March and saying, all right, uh, Ashton, get out there and, and try to get some points. Uh, that's a hard no. No, you can't do that. You can't say, Carl, get out there and give me four or five minutes. No. You've got to have that that roster, and you've got to have trust in those guys. And this is where teams figure out who those go-to guys are going to be. And, and I know for the fans, and it is – certainly there mathematically, well, they could win the, the tournament and the automatic bid. Sure. They did last year sure. for the Tigers. Well, the Tigers were already in last year, whether they, they won that or not. In fact, they might have even could have withstood a Friday exit from uh, the, the first game and withstood it last year. You, you can talk that they could win the conference tournament, but have you haven't you seen enough so far this year to really know that's probably not going to happen? Yeah, no, I, I think so, and you know it, it it will be interesting to see if they can, how far they can go, and and certainly with kind of seeding in terms of conference, you know what seed do they start off with? You know, it won't you be know, I the could seed. I could scale Kilimanjaro, but I'm probably not going to. <laughs> no, no, probably not. Well, it looks like we have Shelby Mass now from BracketWag.com. Shelby, thanks so much for joining us again to talk some bracketology. As Brett just said it, you know, day and day we're getting a little bit closer to March and March Madness. I see in your most recent um, bracketology over at BracketWag.com, you have the Tigers just slightly on the right side of the bracket. They are the final team team in the last four in you have them playing in Dayton for the 12 seed against St. John's in that first round what have you seen lately has it been the wins they're now on a three-game winning streak has it been that or has it been some of those early games I saw over the weekend Clemson got a big win VCU got a big win those games jumped into quad one territory what has been the biggest reason for you to get Memphis back on the right side of the bubble well, I think it was the, the main thing was there were other teams kind of in their area that had bad losses mm. or bad teams. Yeah. Uh, Otis lost, Oregon lost, Seton Hall, and they all lost Oregon, uh, Colorado. Gonzaga's one I, that was a good game against Kentucky. And I, I really came close to moving Gonzaga, but I went and gave it to Memphis for the time being. Shelby, for that 12 seed spot playing in Dayton, I know they earn it coming out of Dayton, but to get to Dayton, do you really fall to that or do you earn that? It depends on which side of the bubble you're on. Uh, some teams, they fall to that, like, like Memphis, and other teams have worked their way up. Uh, Washington State's one I had there uh, last week, and they have earned it to get out of Dayton, but they could, you know, they've, they've been on the outside most of the year. And have just recently moved in, so they would have earned it. But Memphis has definitely fallen. Yeah. Well, Shelby, we're getting down to really kind of a handful of games left in the regular season for all of these teams. And when you look at Memphis right now in Dayton for that 12 seed, 
realistically, where do you think the Tigers, if they kind of go off and, and, and pulling together wins, stringing together wins, how high do you think the Tigers could get? Do you think it's it's Dayton or nothing? Do you think they can get to that 11 line and be safe without playing in Dayton? I think they could possibly, if they string together some nice wins, they could get up to about the 8 or 9. Wow. Uh, in the game, uh, you know, possibly if F- FAU kind of falters a little bit and say Memphis gets to the finals of the turn of the conference tournament, I can see them in the uh, eight nine game. Mm. And, and you see Memphis in, in, in your bracket right now at bracketwag.com, Shelby. You see them kind of right there, not far away from Texas A and M. A and M had the big home win Saturday night over Tennessee. Really, really put it on Tennessee. Ole Miss won at College Station. The Memphis Tigers won at College Station. But A and M still with that lusty thirty-seven net. While you've got Ole Miss at fifty-eight today, and you've got Memphis at seventy-five today in the net. Yeah, I'm feeling uncomfortable about them at 75 and being in the bracket. Uh, the committee tends not to go too far into the 70s to find the remaining teams. It has happened and probably will happen again, but that that gets into real iffy territory. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious, you mentioned Gonzaga, their big win over Kentucky. You said that you kind of thought about maybe putting them on the right side of the bracket after that win. Uh, how much work does Gonzaga need to do? We know it's kind of the, the same story every single season with them of weak conference. You know, you're, you're beating a lot of teams that aren't anywhere close to, to being in the bubble or around the bubble. What does Gonzaga need to do down the stretch to, to get back into the, to the tournament? Well, they got to string together some wins, yeah. and what what's bad for them or puts them in a bad spot? They only got five games left because wow. their their conference they uh, had their tournament a week before everybody else, and so they may be in a position to where they have to win it all. They're not going to have a lot of opportunities left. St. Mary's being the only good win that will be on their resume. Uh, I don't know why they played Kentucky this weekend, but that was one that they needed that game big time. If they were, if they lost that, I think he could have pretty much said that they have to win the tournament. Mm-hmm. Right now, with that win, that gives them a little hope. But they still only have one quad one win, and St. Mary's would be a second, and would be real nice for them. Today you have nine from the Big 12, nine from the SEC, six from the Big 10, six, six from the Mountain West, five from the Big East, four from the ACC, Pac-12 with three, and the AAC with two, everybody else with, 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 with one bid. Do you feel that certain of nine from the SEC, A&M's, uh, that we mentioned the, the great net, but just I test, other than Saturday night against Tennessee, I don't know if I'm that knocked over by, by A&M. No, they're they're good. They've got some good wins, and I've seen enough of their games to where I really like them some games, and there's others where I'm kind of like, eh, they're okay. And so I think they've had enough of those good wins to where they're on the right side, but will the committee see the same way? I don't know. Uh, we talked about Gonzaga. When you look at Kentucky on the other side of that game, another home loss that makes three straight home losses for them. You have them down on the sixth seed in your most recent bracket. 
Where do you think Kentucky, where do you think they end up? I mean, obviously a lot of good opportunities still left on that schedule playing in a tough SEC. And Brett just mentioned all of the SEC teams that you have in the tournament. Where do you think they end up on on Selection Sunday? Well, I've seen enough of Kentucky that I think they're a really good team. They're very athletic, very talented. I think they're better than where I have them right now. Mm -hmm. But they don't have the resume that supports that. They uh, they can be. I mean, I don't want to say all world, but they can be really good if everything goes. You know, all the injuries are they get past that and whatever else they've got going against them. They're a talented team. I think they probably end up around the five seed, and I, I venture to guess that they don't want to be there. And Kentucky with three straight losses at Rupp Arena, first time for that to ever happen, and first time since 1966 to suffer three straight losses at home. I think they're going in the wrong direction. Shelby, I respectfully disagree. You think they're moving up. I think they're moving out. I think they could get into territory that if they – and the idea of them playing on Thursday in Nashville, there's some of that that big blue uh, faithful – that they don't want to be seen at a game on Thursday in Nashville. If they played and lost in Nashville, they could be in, in jeopardy of, of being left out. Yeah, I don't think uh, – overall, I think they are moving down, but I think they have the potential to kind of move back up. I don't know if that they will, but I, there's enough people screaming right now for Rip Pitino to be gone, or excuse me, Calipari to be gone, that, uh, you know, that's – that's not going to set well with him and others. Uh, are they going to write the ship? I don't know, but they they're not looking real good right now. But it's going to be tough to see them falling all the way down uh, to a double digit seed or something like that. That's a long way to go. A lot of teams pass. Freudian slip for you might be some screaming for Rick Pitino to return. <laughs> it might be. Yeah, that, that's something. Yeah. I don't think it'll happen, but boy, that's. <laughs> Last thing for you, Shelby, and please forgive me if I if I asked you this question last week. I couldn't remember, and it's it's a question I really want to ask you. But we talked about Indiana State a little bit earlier. You have them as an 11 seed. They're in the AP Top 25 this week. You have them playing Kentucky in the first round of the tournament, which would not be an easy game for Kentucky. But when you look at some of these mid-major teams, and you know everyone's looking for a Cinderella in March. Everyone loves that story. What's a team that that you've seen this year that you've watched that you think could make some noise in the tournament that that uh, one of these power conference teams wouldn't want to see in the first round. Any team that's got a player with goggles and a beer gut, you got to <laughs> like. That's right. I, I love. It. I really like Grand King. They're good. Yeah. They've got talent, possible NBA talent on their team. Uh, that's a team to watch for. And then these State. Oh yeah. Watch out for those guys. Those that is very well coached team. You'll uh, will Wade. They, they they won't back down from anybody. Yeah, and those are two really good ones, Grand Canyon and McNeese. I think McNeese State plays tonight even, so people can go check them out. Well, Shelby, thank you so much for joining us again. Always love talking Bracketages. We're getting closer and closer to Selection Sunday, and we'll do it again next week. That's good. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Shelby. Thank you so much. Shelby Mass with us from BracketWag.com talking Bracketology. The commissary, Walker Taylor and all of his his associates, they want to say thank you to so many people. I know yesterday's big game events and parties and get-togethers 
I, I know where it started. It started at the commissary. They want to thank everyone for for your trust and your business through all these years. And it was so many catered events yesterday and even fun at the Collierville Commissary with, with all the party packs and all the wings that went out with that. And they're doing the same for Valentine's on Wednesday night. For Valentine's on Wednesday night, you, you take that someone special to either commissary. You take You go to Collierville Commissary. And you get the slab of ribs, and you get it for about 8 to $9 off, and you also get the Valentine's dessert to go with that. And in Collierville, you have champagne at the Germantown Commissary, complimentary two beers for, for there. That's both places, the Collierville Commissary at Houston Levy and Poplar, or the original in Germantown for the day of love that is Wednesday, and it's perfect for a big group at, at the commissary for any event for tonight to watch the Grizzlies, for any night to watch the Tigers or Grizzlies, to enjoy, to hang out, Memphis-style barbecue and ribs done the authentic Memphis-style way, the slow-cooked way. If you're craving an easier way to order, you can text commissary right now to 33733. So many of these great appetizers went out to make Super Bowl Sunday a big hit. The barbecue nachos, the tamales, the cheese plate, the smoked chicken wings. Then dig into the ribs of the shoulder, chopped or pulled on a plate on a sandwich, all the sides, the party pack, six pack, eight pack, twelve pack. So many enjoyed that yesterday for the big game. The desserts. Here's the number nine zero one seven five four five five four zero. Go online at commissarybbq.com in Collierville in Germantown. The party areas, the orders to go, catering, tailgating, any event, any holiday. Always time for the commissary. Nine zero one seven five four five five four zero are online at commissarybbq.com. Let's go ahead and get to a break. When we come back, it'll be time for Big Number of the Day. You already know you can listen to Sports 56 anywhere with the Sports 56 app or at sports56whbq.com. But you can also watch us daily with live video of all of our shows on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. Now back to Sports Time on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Here once again are Brett Norsworthy and Bryant Dacus. Big Daddy. Hello, Big Brand. It's a guy, he wants to be big, then he gets big, he doesn't want to be big anymore, then he gets small, but the suit's too big. Big Daddy. The Big Boy. You're a big guy. I think she's trying to pull a fast one on Big Daddy. The big number of the day. Well, Brett, you mentioned uh, earlier what your big number kind of centers around, and I, I think I might know what your big number is, so I would like you to go first to see what we got. No decimal point, though. Did yeah. you think I was going to have one? Uh, I had two numbers. One had a decimal point. One did not. And so we're about 50-50. My big number is 508. 508. Wow. Okay. That's the combined punting yards for Mitch Wisnowski, who okay. knew, and Tommy Townsend, even less new. <laughs> Mitch Wisnowski went for 254. Mm-hmm. Tommy Townsend went for 254. Yep. The 508 on 10 punts, that's an average of 50.8 for both kickers. Three inside the 20 for Mitch Wisnowski. Two inside the 20 for Tommy Townsend. It was a special teams day. And the one era 
really was not San Francisco's fault. Yeah. It, it hit one of the up guys when you don't get uh, out of the way of the ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Brad, I mean, uh, I was spot on. I thought your number was going to be 254, so I did not double it. Um, I thought you were going to say both of them had 254. Um, and then the, the fact that 254... Um, both of them at 254, which adds up to 508, and then the average of that, uh, of, of 254, is 50.8 yards. That's incredible. There was a time the unthinkable was going to happen. Huh. The MVP of the game upon her. Oh. Just can't, can't happen. I Just mean, can't happen. Brett Cancel the game. Would have been, would have been. The, <laughs> send the everybody game. home. Might have been one of the best sports moments of my life if we had had <laughs> a punter as the MVP of the game. Across big time college football and the NFL especially. Man, these deep snappers, holders, kickers, punters, they've got it down. Oh yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a special talent for sure. And they definitely, um, have it down. I, uh, my big number also comes from the Super Bowl. I've got a couple. One just fun. We already kind of talked about it. Um, but, uh, the number one, Juwan Jennings, uh, is the first wide receiver in NFL history to both throw and catch a touchdown pass in a postseason game. That's good. Um, that is, that is incredible from Juwan Jennings. But my, uh, real big number, um, it's two big numbers that I could, it's two numbers that I'll just put together. Uh, 325, uh, and 50. The only quarterbacks to ever throw for 325 passing yards and rush for 50 yards in a Super Bowl. Joe Montana and now Patrick Mahomes. He did that last night in that game. Just unbelievable. All the stats you can bring up, all the different categories you can bring up of Patrick Mahomes and just the greatest quarterbacks uh, in, in NFL history. He, he's there. Now, we, we, we know now that he's only had three playoff losses. Mm-hmm. One in a Super Bowl and two in AFC Championship games. Yep. Two of those three losses were to the guy everybody's comparing him to. Yeah, well, and that's Tom, he... Tom Brady AFC Championship yeah. game when a guy couldn't get lined up right, right. for Kansas City. Yeah. Really, what what Mahomes' fault at all? Mm-hmm. And then on a day that the Kansas City Chiefs offensive line had a lot of trouble. And also, this I, I'm not trying to kick a guy here, but remember around that Super Bowl. Was everything going on with Andy Reid's son that mm, week? Yeah, no, you're right about that. That's a that's a good point. But you know, speaking of of Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady, uh, you know, after the game, he was talking to somebody. I think he was on set um, after the game on CBS, and they asked him, you know. People are starting to compare you to Tom Brady in terms of that, you know, greatest of all time conversation. And, you know, do you ever think about that? Do you hear it? You know, what, what is that like? And he said, Oh, you know, I hear it. But, you know, the one thing, you know, Tom Brady beat me in a Super Bowl. And uh, no matter, you know, what happens, uh, he can always say that he beat me in a Super Bowl. And, and I said, I, I thought that was awesome that he, he is still, that still bothers him that, that Tom Brady beat him in a Super Bowl. So that's who he's being mentioned with in NFL, and that that's a club of two, as I said earlier. Brian, I didn't think the day would ever come that in the history of the city of Tyler, Texas, there would be anybody better than Earl Campbell. Yeah. But it is. It's it, Patrick Mahomes. It's crazy. It, it's it's insane. And uh, I to saw, knock off Earl Campbell yeah. and Tyler is the unthinkable. Oh, it's crazy. And I saw um, I saw earlier on on Twitter. Uh, and I don't remember, I think it was ESPN from draft day where they went through and rated all, graded all the draft picks. And someone gave, uh, Kansas City Chiefs for taking Patrick Mahomes at number 10, a C plus. 
A C plus. C plus. Patrick yeah. Mahomes. That no, that's bad. Worked out okay. Yeah, yeah. Cold takes exposed on that one. I mean, that is really, really tough. I mean, now the guy's being in conversations of greatest player of all time, and and still a lot of uh, you know the back of the football card to be filled out. So an unbelievable game for him. Another MVP for him as well last night in that Super Bowl, Super Bowl MVP. Uh, But we need to get to our break and wrap up our second hour. When we come back, we're talking Grizzlies with DeMichael Cole. 